Blog Talk Radio. Hey, peace to the family. Uh, let's see my man, Jewie. Jewie, you there? Make sure your line is open from the gate. Peace, Jewie, peace. Jewie, you there? What's happening? Peace. What's happening? Hey, nothing, man. Do me a favor, man. If my signal go in and out, sometimes I get this little crazy spot right here. Just let me know. Um, I look right now. I look like we good. Um, so, yeah, peace to the family. Um, welcome to another, what we would call another round, uh, a just open conversation. Um I want to get into a few alignments that's coming in. It's pretty heavy. Um, I ain't really got into this lane in a minute as far as letting the general public know. Uh, all right. And, uh, um, man. Go ahead, brother Drew. You got, I know you got something. Yeah, what's going on? Peace to the family out there. Thank y'all for coming out this evening. Um, first up, we got the Toel Love Fund. This is to offer everyone light. <clears throat> what this is, uh, this is a fund that was, um, Invented or created by myself and Ann Poo. Brother was going through some issues financially, and um, you know, push came to shove, and he, he got some astrological data from Noble, and he got some ceremonial work to, to do from Keisha, and the brother ended up coming out of his bind, and I mean, times ten, uh, money was coming in from all directions, unexpected sources, and whatnot. Um, so from there, we decided, you know, how about we create a fund that when people get in need or, you know, maybe not even in need, but people that just want to participate in showing um, love and support um, to each other, um, we created the Toil Love Fund. So what this is is every month um, you donate $13 a month, and at the end of the month we dump the whole account out and we pay two to three people's bills every month. Um, this is going on the fourth month. We've been in this practice doing this um we paid paid people's bills all the way over in uganda and uh it was real touching man to uh talk to one of the brothers brother named mike over in uganda um i i, I wired his money over to him and we talked for a brief moment and he just was like man we listen to your shows and uh you all uplift us over here and this man is 30 hours away man so it was real touching to hear somebody on the other side of the planet, um, speak, um, you know, good words to what we're doing. And it just, it humbled me and my ambitions and, and what I have ambitions to do when I hear other people like that, um, that far away, who, 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 who's being impacted by this work. So, you know, that's something noble, something phenomenal that we came up with. And, um, you know, one, one, one young lady, she ended up having two bills paid at the same time because we dumped the account out. It was like $160. Her bill was only like $70. So she ended up getting a credit as well uh, on her next bill for next month. So, you know, things like that is going on over here. The Toel Love Fund, if you're interested, you can check it out on the website. It's there. It's available for all that want to join. Um, also, I have the Magi Bags of Prosperity. That's also on the website as well. Um, this is a product that sincerely I didn't even plan on putting out, uh, you know, into the market. But um, we went down to Sedona and I created a ceremony for everyone where I created this bag that had uh, what we deem sacred geometry inside of it. Um, you know, with the guidance of Dr. Mitchell Gibson, he, he kind of led me down a direction to look at some data. And it really, really did correspond to my spirit and who I was as a being. 
And I put these things inside of this bag, and lo and behold, about two weeks later, we had a radio show. Everybody's calling, talking about how the business has taken off. Um, you know, they're getting checks in the mail, $1,500 checks, unexpected sources to help them get this, that, and the third done. Uh, another sister, um, testimonial she gave up about two weeks ago, um, she hasn't been she hasn't been employed for roughly three to four years. She mentioned to me, and it was the night that we had the show with Brother Jabari um, the weekend before we had the Adolf event. And um, on that show, uh, Noble was talking about the um, the debt, the national debt, and how you know each each citizen would roughly owe forty nine thousand dollars if they called the debt in and whatnot. And the reason that this is important is because the next day, the young lady, she ended up being able to purchase the Magi bag. And she she, she sent me an email back, um, you know, about maybe, I don't know, four or five hours after she made the purchase. And she said she had been going through some bags at home because, you know, she, she hadn't been employed. So she'd been going through old receipts and stumbling upon some old love letters from the past. And she happened to go inside of a bag they had a lot of receipts in these letters, and she opens up a card that she hadn't opened before. She noticed it was there, and it was a card that had uh, $50 inside of the card from a coworker in 1994, all the way from 1994, who told her to have a prosperous new year. Now, the reason that this is important is because when we look at synchronicities and whatnot and how they operate, um, your mind has to be geared toward identifying when creation is trying to give you a signal for what you're doing is appropriate and is right. So 49 was the number that we were dealing with the night before she made the purchase. It's also the number that I have on the Holy Communion plates, the Toel edition for your altar. Um, but anyways, on, on, on sticking to the script, she, um, you know, she, she was able to purchase the bag and then she finds a card in the mid in, in, in a bag that has the same amount in the car that she made the purchase for the bag for that's telling her to have a prosperous new year and the bag is called the Magi Bag of Prosperity. So she gave that testimonial up, man. The sister was, she was enthused with joy and whatnot. And since she's got the bag, she just said that she's been feeling lifted up. Uh, she feels like she has some type of protective force around her. Um, so I just wanted to lay that testimonial out for the sister. Um, beautiful sister, by the way. And um, also, the, the Galactic Activation Medallions, um, you know, this is something that me and Noble created a few months back. Um, it's not a lightweight piece, to say, the, to say the least. It's got a lot of Mars energy, a lot of Scorpion energy on this thing. And um, we, we, we advise that people, if they do purchase, to, to use it with caution because you have to know how to identify energy uh, within your experience that you have. On a day-to-day basis when you wear this thing Because you will notice um, you, you will notice that you will turn more aggressive You may have more aggressive energy coming your way If you pay attention to it Because it may be subtle um, but, what, but what we're doing is we, we, we deal with Mars over here in our camp In the activation camp Because we know that that planetary energy Is the, is the planet that deals with force to get things done um, So we definitely want to move in that direction to learn how to master these energies, even some of the ones that people deem malefic, to be able to master them, to know how um, to make it work for us in a positive way and get things done. So the Galactic Activation Medallion is available 
Uh, for those that may be interested, it's a beautiful medallion made of copper and gold plated and epoxy domes. Beautiful. Uh, if you get the opportunity, you go check it out. It's also on the website. Uh, what else we got going on? Uh, the the, the, um, the Toel Financial Recovery is uh, something else that we're working on. We got something real big coming up uh, on the 4th of July, uh, dealing with debt and taking care of, you know, cleaning up your credit and whatnot. Some of the methods that um, I've used myself and I've been successful many, many, many times. And all it takes is a stroke of a pen and some paper. And it's, it's, it's voila, it's magic. It happens. You know what I mean? I, I have all the documentation and the letters back from the creditors to prove it. So, if you know, if you, you put the time in and the effort, um, you know, and the know-how and the knowledge, it can save you a lot of money. So, we're working on bringing that um, to the public as well if they're interested in that service. Uh, what else do we got going on over here? Um, you got that love offering plate, Holy Communion. Yeah, just right, exactly. The Holy Communion plate, the 12 edition. This was also uh, debuted down at the, at the uh, Equinox down in Sedona. Uh, we used it for uh, the ceremony that we had down there. Beautiful plate. Uh, I say this is where art meets spirituality when you get into some of the laws of magic, similarity, and synchronicity and things of that nature are incorporating into the plate. Every element in nature is involved in it. Uh, I don't know if anybody ever works with clay, but you obviously have the earth element, water, fire, uh, air, because it has to dry, and, and the spirit, which is the human element, uh, putting my time and uh, my effort and my creativity into the design to go into your altar, everything from the color down to the size. Uh, is dealing with the angelic force to well to draw down that energy to have prosperity and abundance in your life. Because that's what it's about, people. Um, you know, raising your spiritual level of awareness up, being modest, being noble, having humility, um, and having some finance and some abundance uh, so you won't be stressing. You know what I mean? Uh, activating your creativity to find ways to be creative to um, not only make money, but in the process of making money, having an even exchange of uh, a noble service where you're actually helping people as well in the process of making money. So, you know, that's what we're promoting over here. Also, look out for um, the uh, the proverbial they show with myself and the... Uh, the wonderful sister Samaya, we uh, we had a show a couple weeks back uh, where we actually, matter of fact, it was last weekend, we had a show, me and her, and the brother and Pooh was on, and he was kind of playing devil's advocate, but the, the show was going to be basically, we're going to be talking about the they that we hear so much about, you know, they're going to do this to us, or they did this to us, or they're conspiring to do this to us. And, um, you know, we're going to look at it from both sides of the coin. We're going to flip this dynamic upside down, shake it up real good so that the people can look at it and have and make their own judgment. You know what I mean? But uh, from from my perspective and how I'm viewing it, I'm, I'm canceling the day out. I'm, I'm canceling them all the way out of my equation because at the end of the day, like Noble said, either the spirit world is real or it's not. And if they have that much control, then we all some Pee Wee Hermans down here. And nobody has control over their own destiny. And a lot of times I think people use that, especially in this community, as an excuse not to succeed or to say what they're not going to be able to accomplish. Because, oh, and we try this anyway, we know we're going to be stopped right here because they got this plan for us and they got that plan for us. But <clears throat> it's opportunity out here at this particular time. We're taking advantage of it. The Toel Love Fund is a 
but it's a primary example of that, where people always talk about what we need to do in the community, how this can be done, you know, and, and things of that nature, and we put forth the effort to come up with an idea that works, and there's no they involved in that, and people are getting their bills paid, and it's not stopping. And we plan on it growing and growing and growing to the point where it's it's a it's a epidemic of of a good proportion. You know what I mean? So um, that's what we're striving to do over here. So be on the lookout for that show. Me and somebody are gonna be going in classic Mercury Square Mercury. Um, but you know we love each other. At the end of the day, man. You know we have you know that's how we talk on the phone on a regular conversation. So that radio show we are gonna keep it 100. It's gonna be my perspective, her perspective. Uh, and I, it, in the future, to be a little bit more civil, you know what I mean. Last time, we just was letting the fireworks pop, but uh, it's also about entertainment because this is radio. So we want to make sure that we bring education, spirituality, and entertainment to the people, so that when they tune in, um, you know, their, their ears will be pleased with the message that they get, and they'll be excited about what they heard. So uh, and, and be able to use it in a practical way. So uh, that's that's pretty much it on my end, man. Indeed, indeed, man. Um, I'm comment on two things you said. The um, the story about the prosperity bag. Um, what, what Brother Jew was saying, like he has the uh, made a holy communion plate, the offering plate, a plate that you can put on your altar. And within that plate, the um, number 49 is on that plate, you know. And um, you know, for that for the sister to have got that card. And the money that she found is pretty much parallel with the number that's on the plate from the angelic realm that's literally inscribed in the plate. And the wishes that the person wrote that person is the exact same language of the actual thing that she purchased, bag of prosperity. You know, that's 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 how the divine works. And I'm telling you, we got we got a course coming real soon that's going to be dealing with showing you how the divine speaks through signs and symbols and how to jump within that particular portal when it's open for you, how to at least project your consciousness and really extract to what, man, I looked at the clock and it's 11.44, like right now, see, it's 10.33 on my side, see, see what I'm saying, that that's how it works, like I ain't playing that, I ain't no Jew was going to stop talking when he was going to stop talking, I can talk about numbers, it's 10.33 right now on the East Coast. See what I'm saying? So that's how the great divine works, all right? Man, we just got to, man, I want to tell y'all so much stuff about how it works. It's a whole show in itself on that, all right? Um, and then on the Toel Financial Recovery, it's scheduled for July 4th. It'll be on the website. On the website, myastrologycoach.com, we have a new tab that's up, and it's called Remote Viewing. So that's our on-demand channel that we have that we'll be doing our online presentations. It's much different. We don't have any, um, we don't have any, it's not no video stream, uh-uh, because there's always something going on as of right now with that. But what we're doing is we're giving you direct link. It's where I hold the online classes at. For those of you who've been in my class, you already know. So you come in and you will see the actual presentation that we're giving. You're going to see the actual slideshow of the data that we're talking about. So this is going to be right up in your face. There's no need to see us. You're going to see the data. All right? You're going to see actual cases where we actually got things discharged and the, the, the bill comes you just packed it up, running, and let it go. All right? So we're going to show you how to discharge some things. That will be up on the website Wednesday. 
Alright, and I had to let And seating is limited for it But we're going to run another class But seating is limited July 4th July 4th is a very powerful cosmic day Alright um, Simply because And you should celebrate that day Straight up Because that day is The sun is based off of um, Being in conjunction with Sirius In the tropical aspect of astrology Alright And Sirius is about 13 degrees Cancer So that's what the significance of July 4th it's all about. On July 3rd this year, we're having a full moon. Alright, so I'm going to be in Cancer. The moon is going to be at 12 degrees Capricorn. Now, all I'm saying is if you go back to um, it all started, I always say it all started December 31st, 2010. And then when 2011 came in, on January the 3rd, we did emergency broadcast on January the 3rd, which was the 1-3. And the moon was coming in on the January 4th. It was a solar eclipse that was coming in at 13 degrees Capricorn. That's when we launched the This Is Serious joint. And we created the most phenomenal event ever when we did a group meditation based off the star Sirius. That was the starting point. Well, what I'm saying now is... The moon on July 3rd would now be in the position the Sirius was at when we did this collective meditation. So Mommy, Moon, Luna, Diana, right, Lavana, she's coming back to give birth to something. Full moon. Give birth to what? Trying to tell you, we got, our word is mine, I got the whole thing pegged down to exactly when the transformation of powers and the whole thing will literally change. You got to go in on this, but you got to start using, like you said, you got to start using your mind, start using your logic, start using your, start using that apparatus that you have, because there's a group of people, and they, the proverbial they think that they're smarter than you and I. They just something. They sit back and they write stuff, institute it, and then say they'll never figure it out. And then if they do figure it out, that's cool, and we won't mess with them, we mess with the people who won't figure it out. So it's basically a mind game of people who think they're smarter than you and I. I don't like that. That don't, that don't sit well with me when you purposely are trying to box me in from your own intellect, all right? So July the 4th, that course, is going to, um, that course is going to be there. People in the network, they get first dibs to register first. But if you're interested in registering, email Ju11, which is the word, then the number 11. So Ju1111 at myastrologycoach.com if you want to register for that, all right? It's only going to be $65 for that powerful information. I'm going to give it to you. You're going to learn how to do this yourself. You're also going to get a zip folder that's going to have all the documents in there necessary. The only thing you have to do is just fill in the blanks yourself as far as your name, as far as the um, agency, you know what I mean? And then, you know, you're going to have it. And guess what? Anybody that comes through this, guess what we're going to do? going to give you the correct astrological timing, because timing is everything, going to give you the correct astrological timing on when you are going to send this data out so you can do what you need to do, all right? So that's going to be some powerful, powerful, powerful stuff, because we're backing it up, because um, we, um, we, we're going to back it up with that. You know what I'm saying? That's a lot of So, we're going to start at, man. But you know what? Before we get started, we're going to do this. We're gonna, um, I'm going to let Ganesha um, come through and clear out any of the obstacles that we have. All right?
So if Neptune was at 24 Aquarius, it'd be picking up a perfect 120 degree angle. But Neptune is in Pisces, but it's still forming a trine by degrees, although the element does not match the other two planets, because Venus is in Gemini, which is air, Saturn is in Libra, which is air, all right? It's just Neptune, the trickster planet, is saying, look, I'm a part of this grand air trine, but I'm carrying the vibration of Pisces, and guess what? Neptune rules Pisces, so Neptune is what we call dignified. This planet is at home for years, about easy two years, we was blowing the horn telling you, yo, when Neptune get here, you want to look out. If it's two sides to energy. Energy to me is, a, is what we would call a positive expression and a negative expression, but it's you yourself that takes your own, it's your own individual choice on how that energy is going to manifest or how you're going to use it, all right? On a negative expression, it is deception. It is spiritual charlatism. Um, people will trick you, people will put curses on you, people will just deceive you at this particular time in the sake of you want to get a reading type of thing, all right? So it's very nasty. On the other side, it represents you coming into spiritual enlightenment, your psychic faculties are functioning, you're more poetic, you're more imaginative, you uh, and you got it going on at this particular time. You can just see, all right? Poetry, music, divine, spiritual inspiration is the theme here. Well, let's look at it in this context. If you have Venus and Gemini, which is interesting because Venus, Venus is an energy that um, naturally rules Libra and it rules relationships. But then you got Saturn in the zodiac sign of Libra, trying in Venus. There's a there, there's what I call a common denominator here. The common denominator um, is what Libra frequency because Venus rules Libra. And then Venus is in a nice communicating aspect called a trine to Saturn and Libra. So, therefore, it's like, yo, what's up, Saturn? You in my house. How you doing type of energy. You see what I'm saying? So, this represents an easy flow dealing with, possibly dealing with the relationship aspect. And this is deep because Saturn went retrograde and is still currently retrograde in Libra where it's exalted, meaning when Saturn's in Libra, its energy is very high. It loves being here. So I went back into Libra, and it says, hey, I'm coming back because before I go into Scorpio, I want to make sure that certain relationships, all type of partnerships, whether it's business and or personal, relationships need to get it together. Because once I leave here, I'm not coming back for another 28 to 30 years. And once I leave here, Uranus over there in Aries, which is in opposition to Libra, He's going to torture you now all by him. Well, not by himself. He's going to pose you now for the next six to seven years. All right? So Uranus is an energy of rebellion, sudden change. I want to be free. So it's opposing the whole Libra constellation. So our consciousness of relationships, our psychology of relationships will be challenged by the planet Uranus. Saturn said, yo, I co-rule you with Aquarius, Uranus. Me and you rule Aquarius together. But before I let you oppose this Libra energy, I'm going to go in retrograde, go back, and give people a last call for alcohol to get it together and try to gel it. All right? Now, the other part of the trine is a grand earth trine is in the sky right now. Mars is in Virgo. Pluto is in Capricorn, which will be there to 2024. And Mercury, the messenger, the fastest moving planet out of all of these two, that, these three that I just named, is at six degrees Taurus. Now, remember, so you have to be in a network. 
because in March we did a, um, we was doing some heavy meditation upon the bull when it was a Grand Earth Tron, and it was perfect. See, 2012 is just not about the sun rising in the middle of the uh, Milky Way. 2012 was a perfect Grand Earth Tron. What are you talking about, a perfect Grand Earth Tron? Well, Jupiter is in Taurus, and it still is. It's at 23. It come out in June. Jupiter at that time was at 9 degrees Taurus. Then Mars was at 9 degrees Virgo. Pluto, which is at Capricorn right now, is at 9 degrees Capricorn. This was a perfect equilateral triangle all in 9 degrees. What is 9? 9 is 9 months. 9 is born. 9 is feminine. What are the earth signs in astrology? The earth signs are feminine signs because your masculine are fire and air. Water and earth are your feminine energy. So the number nine, which is synonymous to nine months, which is a woman, and the feminine signs are at perfect, pinpoint perfect, perfect. And then guess what? Venus came home in Taurus and joined the party at nine degrees. Now, I found this to be very interesting from the creator. Like, stop playing. Because, see, Venus is a little bit closer to the sun than all these other planets. So Venus moves more than, a little more than a degree a day. So if you look at the ephemeris, which clocks planetary energy on bodies or movements, it'll tell you today Venus may be at 23. Tomorrow can be at 25 because it's closer than the sun. So it moves more than one degree because the Earth's relationship to the sun is one degree a day. So Venus is closer to the sun, so it moves a little bit faster than one degree a day. So for Venus to come in Taurus, which is home for Venus, it actually came in and joined the party at 9 degrees. Like, yo, I'm joining the party with Mars. I'm joining the party with Pluto. And tomorrow I'm up out of here. But I'm going to join this sacred um, number, which was 9. I said, wow, what was the odds of that actually happening? So then Venus left and the grand Tron was over. The only thing we had to do was wait for the sun to enter Taurus. And the sun came and the grand Tron is over. Guess what? Now Mercury, who is the messenger... See, Mercury just came out of retrograde not too long ago, so Mercury himself also did, guess what, uh, last call for alcohol type of thing. Here, take this right here. All right, did a last call for alcohol because Mercury travels close to the sun. So right now, the sun is approximately about 22 degrees Taurus. Mercury is only 6 degrees Taurus. So Mercury said, well, I'm going to go back. So I let the power of the sun go forward. I let Jupiter go forward. When everybody do their grand earth trial, when Ampu, Coach Kaya, and everybody get up on it, where's the power group get up on it, we let you have it. But this is the last call right here because Mercury is the messenger. All right? So now the messenger is saying, okay, well, I'm here again, and we almost going to have it perfect just a little bit. And the, the most perfect you're going to get this energy is because, remember, Mars is at, what, 8 degrees Virgo. Pluto is at 9. So you're going to need Mercury to match. Let's put Mercury in the middle. When Mercury gets 7, we're going to have a sequence of 7, 8, 9. Because when Mercury gets to 8, then, you know, you know Pluto is at 9. So it's going to be, you know, it ain't going to be perfect. And then when Mercury gets to 9, Mars will be at 8. It won't be perfect. So tomorrow, Mercury's at 7. So you're going to have 7, 8, 9. So the messenger, Grand Earth Tron, right, talking about a communication that is coming through from the spiritual world. How you know it's communication? Because Venus is in Gemini, the sign of communication, air sign. Saturn's in Libra, air sign, right? 
But Neptune is in Pisces, remember? So this is about a spiritual communication because Neptune is spirituality, Pisces is spirituality, Neptune's at home, Neptune's part of this grand trine, and, and the other two are air with this communication. So whatever that you are imagining, what, what kind of say? I just closed my eyes and imagine, right? So whatever you imagine at this time, you can bring that down from out of your imagination, out of the celestial world, and bring it on down into the material world because we have a grand earth tron. Thus, we have the six-pointed star in the sky right now, all right? So it is very important for you tonight, tomorrow, all right, to really start getting up on this energy and decide what it is that you want to bring about, all right, and work on it, literally, all right, cast your energy out there because we call it the macabre, that six-pointed star, that hexagram, it is here for you, the heavens are here for you, all right, now, this energy will end on the 20th because Mercury moves pretty fast, so when Mercury gets outside of this orb and breaks up, six-pointed star be no more, and then what you're going to have is, um, the 20th is interesting because the 20th now brings you to the solar eclipse, so we got a solar eclipse coming in, a solar eclipse coming in on May the 20th at zero degrees Gemini, zero, zero, literally, zero degrees Gemini, this is when the sun and the moon are going to be together, and this will take place at um, 7.47 East Coast time. So adjust your time zones accordingly. It'll take place at 7.47 East Coast time. 6.45 if you're in Central. 6.47 if you're in Central. And so forth. All right? Now, this is important because um, it's interesting because the heavens are shifting. So the heavens are like, okay, Grand Earth trying over. Now it's an eclipse. Now what you going to do? So it went from one angle to another energy. Now, we got word that uh, it was prescribed that we shouldn't do anything on this particular day uh, because there's going to be a lot of negative energy coming through. All right? So cut it out. So when we size up, when we size up the heavens and we take a look and we say it's going down to zero degrees Gemini, but when you look in the sky... There's a different system of astrology that's taking place. See, I've been saying this. You live in the future. Because the the, 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 the cosmology of astrology that we deal with is tropical. It's 23 degrees in the future. But when you go outside, you go outside and you say Mars is in Virgo. No, Mars looks like it's in the constellation of Leo. But see, you got to understand the realm that we live in dealing with the optical illusion. I said everybody can agree it looks like the sun rises in the east and sets in the west. That's what it looks like. All right? But the earth is actually traveling around the sun. It don't look like that from our vantage point. And the earth is also said to be tilted on this axis at 23.5 degrees. And the tilt is not a perfect horizontal or perfect vertical. It's 23.5 degrees tilt. Alright, now, it's also said that the Earth travels at a terrific speed of about 1,037 miles per hour on its own axis spinning as it's going around the sun. You don't feel the Earth spin. If the Earth is spinning, why don't do north ever change? Why is everything in the same direction if the Earth is spinning? 
Why does it look like the, the sun is rising and setting when we going around that? Why are we spinning? And then all these other planets are spinning at the same amount of speed, 1,137 miles per hour. So you live in the realm of illusion. If it takes the light of the sun eight minutes to hit the earth, right, you're actually visualizing the sun of where it was at eight minutes ago. Or you're actually feeling the effect of where it was at eight minutes ago, but your perspective of the reality needs to be adjusted 23 degrees ahead of time. This is why the vibrations are still the same and why topical astrology can be so accurate. So, in my opinion, when the most honorable Elijah Muhammad came and he said it was 23 scientists that wrote this in the 24th of the judging, and he was talking about how um, pretty much the measurement of the poles corresponds to the scientists, and then we write we write history in advance every twenty five thousand years because that 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 considers a whole great year, right? A whole total procession. Alright? He's talking about the twenty three scientists, man, is talking about the Earth's tilt that it's on and how you live twenty three degrees in the future. The greatest the greatest phenomenon that you ever seen as an example of this is Michael Jordan. Number 23, the bull, which we're going to get into this, who is also obviously representing the Archangel Michael by wearing the number 23. The, 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 the athletes are the gods in the mythology. So Michael Jordan had to be great because it was something that we had to understand for consciousness, not just because it's sneakers, not just so we can go out and play ball and get money, what is the spiritual? If it has a physical significance, it has to have a spiritual significance. If it has a spiritual significance, then it has to have a significance that's rooted in cosmology because all things are supported by the great law as above, so below. Alright? So you live in the realm of an illusion that's tilted by 23 degrees. So... When we take a look at the heaven, and those of you who are on listening to us via online, you can see some of the pictures that we posted. You will see that um, the sun during the solar eclipse, and we're talking about the solar eclipse that's taking place on the 20th, all right, you will see that this eclipse is actually going to take place inside of the horns, the bullhorns of Taurus. All right, I take that back. Sorry, it's actually going to take place not too far from the Pallades. Now, this brings us into a whole nother thing, all right? The Pallades, when you look it up, represents the seven, the seven stars, all right? Um, most people give the Pallades a very nasty and malefic type of energy. Um, and when you get into the mythology of the Pallades, the seven weeping sisters... Um, you will see that the story is a very dramatic story indeed. Now, when you also look into this, you will see that they also had the Pallades, the seven sisters, all right? They also had seven sisters, all right? By what they call the seven Hades, all right? So all together, this makes 14. Then I'm saying, wait a minute, hold on. In the mythology, it is said that Orion, the hunter, is chasing the seven sisters, right? And then Zeus, which is Jupiter, saw this and he turned them into doves. And then later, it's, you know, he turned them into stars, all right? 
So I said, wait a minute, but if they, if Orion, who we know for a fact represents Osiris or Thar, right, is chasing seven sisters who also got seven sisters make a total of 14, we also know that the number 14 becomes significant in the 14 pieces of Osiris. So this is talking about a resurrection principle utilizing the bull. Big shout out to Kair. Because this is a mythology, mythology that's taking place that really is an embodiment of, to some degree, all of us. All of us. See, when I sit down in the room and I can pull it out, I can show you why all of us listen to one another and why we while we in each other's immediate cipher because there's always going to be a cosmic link. Always. All right? So, I'm looking at this. I said, wow, this represents the Osiris principle of resurrection. But what happens is this. <clears throat> the proverbial they is good for taking the mythology and twisting it to control your psychology. And i give you the best example of it. Rocky, the movie. Rocky, the movie, became um, very popular in the 70s, and Rocky is known for running up the Philadelphia Art Museum and um, going up the steps and doing the victory dance. Ladies and gentlemen, every single day that you go to this art museum in Philadelphia, you will see people, I name the European people, running up them steps reenacting that. Well, if you type in Thomas Birch, um, Thomas Birch um, Fair Fairmount Waterworks in Google Images, you will see a picture of the art museum before it was an art museum and it was a pyramid. It looks just like the Pyramid of the Sun. I know it's the Pyramid of the Sun. I did an excellent DVD breaking down Philadelphia called Philadelphia Exposed. Why? Is this? And it just don't get it. This don't say, well, I'm not interested because I'm not from Philly. I ain't never going to Philly. No. You need to understand why Philadelphia is the birthplace. You need to understand why Barack Obama, before his inauguration, had to come through 30th Street Station first and touch the crown and then take the train ride into D.C. You need to understand the religious freedoms of the Quakers who later became the Rosicrucians while they came to Philadelphia. You need to understand the science on the grid of Philadelphia and why the USS Philadelphia was able to disappear using mathematics, a technique called spinners, all right, and reappear down in Virginia known as the Philadelphia Experiment. Time travel came from this particular portion of the world right here in Philly. All right, so Philadelphia is relative to your consciousness. Trust me. Philadelphia upholds the grid every single day that you have people running up the ancient pyramid of the sun in North America reenacting how Rocky defeated who? Apollo. Who was Apollo? The sun god. Apollo was a black guy. The black sun god got defeated. But what I mean by how they twist the proverbial, they twist the mythology. They twisted the mythology because in that story, in the Greek mythology, Apollo is what? He, he's a deity over a city called Delphi, like Delphia, Delphi, the oracles of Delphi. You understand why, why, why we got it popping? So, so he defeats, or he's the god over Delphi, and he has to battle Pythias, which is a python, a snake, Pythias. But Rocky's last name was Balboa, as in Boa Constrictor. So in the mythology, Apollo defeats Pythias 
But in our reality, for the sake of the medium of magic and political control, the proverbial they say no. We flip the mythology. You get the black sun god in. Because it's ancient. Bring the black sun god in. And then what you will do now is Balboa will defeat the boa constrictor, the serpent, will now defeat Apollo, the sun god. All right? So that's a classic example on how the mythology is twisted around. Did the same thing with um, Percy Jackson and the Lightning Thief, which is one of my favorite movies. You ain't never seen that. Then Percy Jackson and the Lightning Thief, Clash of the Titans, and uh, what was that other joint? The Eagle with Marcus Aquila, because that's a constellation. Man, what? Man, these are straight-up constellations. Everybody name in there is a constellation. These are my favorites, man. We're going in. War and, 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 and astronomy and astrology are synonymous. They're the same thing. They've always been. They're the same thing. All right? So, looking at this, and we now know that, um, if there's something, there's something interesting about, about, um, Atlas. Atlas is the father of the seven daughters of the Pleiades. Now, Atlas went to war with the Olympians, right? And then the then the, then the Titans lost, and his punishment by Zeus Jupiter was, you gonna go to the west. Check this out. You gonna go to the west end of the earth. You gonna go to the west, and you are going to uphold. You gonna stand on the end of the earth on the west side, right? And you gonna hold up the celestial sphere, which is Uranus or Uranus. All right. Could never again to allow the Earth, Gaia, and Uranus, the sky, to intermingle. Now, on one metaphysical aspect, this represents, Atlas represents the celestial poles, north and south poles, that pretty much obtain the planet Earth as it is spinning through the darkness of the sky. That's one aspect of it. That's what it really talks about on the ultimate level. But once again, the proverbial they can come along and say, well, we're going to make the Malithic stars, uh, we're going to make the Pallades Malithic. All right, and I'm going to take a quick break, and I'm going to look for, where's uh, Sister Shantae? Put your hand up. Um, because I gotta, I'm, I'm, I'm going to come back to this, and you don't let me forget. Can we change or charge planetary bodies with our intent to make them reflect what we want them to reflect. Can that be done? There's a question. That's the question. I want to come back into that. And I'm going to hit on Atlas and what it means for us. And then going back into the storyline of Atlas in North Africa. And how it relates to a certain group of people within this particular time. Using the celestial science. Getting you away from Ornus or Uranus. Alright. Um, I got... Sister Shantae is about to come on. Sister Shantae joined this course that we have called Spirit Activation. I'm just going to say this. 2012 is your time, and you want to join the things that we have if you gravitate and if you can, because it is your time. All right? Um, let me see if I can find Sister here. Sister Shantae, you there? Yes, I'm here. How are you? I'm doing well. Good, good. And congratulations on your Tell the family what's been going on with you, if you don't mind. Well, a lot. A lot of things have been going on. Um, I joined the activation course uh, April the 30th, 
and I've been anticipating doing so for a while. Um, the second day of my meditation, um, I had to get up at 4.27 a.m., and I spoke to you about that, Ampul, on how challenging I thought that was going to be, being as though, you know, I'm a mother of two, and um, I'm on my feet. I'm moving all day around all the time. So I'm like 4.27 a.m. I've never been up that early before I, that I can remember. And, um, you know, I went to bed that night, and I set an alarm to get up. And the alarm was kind of going off, and I put it like on snooze because I had a hard time getting out of bed. But I've been wanting to do the, the meditation course for a while. It's it, it been in been in my heart. So um, there was a cardinal bird perched on the wire outside my home, and it was chirping. I mean, it was it was nonstop chirp. It, it was like a I was in a dream. I was waking up and I couldn't believe that this bird was making all this noise what I was saying in my head. I'm like, what is this? I mean, it was going it was going off. It was silent outside and all you could hear was this cardinal just going away. So I, I got up, I went to the window, I looked out and I, I seen him sitting right there on a the, on the wire facing my house, chirping. Chirping, I mean non stop. I mean it's not like he would break for five minutes. I mean he just kept going, kept going. So I got up. I got up, I put my things on, you know, and I went outside on my porch and, you know, and I sat there and I began, you know, to meditate and um to calm myself and I went in and the bird was there the entire time, chirping, just um just keeping me uh, motivated and and just, I was just like, I, like I was wake, I, almost as if I had woke up for the first time, for real. Right. Right. And that was the, that was the second day of the meditation course. Right. Right. Now, do, do, do me this, Shante. Fast forward up to, people got, people like to hear money. So mm-hmm. fast, fast forward us to money, and I, and I, and I break down what the, because we know what the bird means. Um, okay. But tell them about your financial experience, because that's when it becomes real, and we got a grand earth trying. And relax in this beautiful space that you've created. So let's stand up. Okay, we're going to expand the energy. You're going to do it before with your eyes closed. So you internalize the energy completely. So just close your eyes. In order to go out, you got to go within. Tai Chi is my method of doing it. It allows all energy condensed in to the very core of your body. And as you continue this practice or any of your Tai Chi forms, practice with your eyes closed sometimes so you can really internalize it. And some marvelous things will happen. I won't spoil your experience. If you are not sexual, you cannot be spiritual. Because it takes energy to be spiritual. It takes energy to meditate. And I'm not talking about 
alpha relaxation. I'm talking about meditation, dynamic, deep meditation. Learning to rotate your consciousness through the body in certain specific psychic pathways that the tantric traditions have had natural But in this way, we open up and enliven ourselves to the possibility of being able to create and be any and everything your potential will allow to be in this lifetime.
Tonight we got a real special show. I want to jump straight into it. Uh, I'm going to run the sponsors at the end. I do want everybody to go still check out relaxationisthekey.com, uh, alkalinewatertogo.com. www.alkalinewatertogo.info. And tybro, T-Y-B-R-O.com. I guess I'm going to explain as the show goes on why I've been really excited about this show and really trying to push it, but I'm going to bring on our special guest tonight for the first hour, Dr. Mitchell Gibson. Doc, your, your mic is open. How you doing tonight? I'm doing well. How are you, sir? Ah, blessed by the best. Too sexy to be stressed and worth my weight in diamonds and gold. You know how we do. <laughs> I like that. I like that. How have you been? Oh, man, you got me so excited, man. Wow. Mm-mm-mm-mm. You've been on, uh, I went on a um, a Vipassanu meditation retreat at, at the beginning of February, and um, a lot of our conversations came up because it was a silent meditation retreat. So, you know, when you have to be quiet, you get a lot of conversations and a lot of time to uh, run things through your mind. So um, I feel like I'm on top of the world, like like I'm getting ready to stick my finger in an electric socket sometime soon. <laughs> well, I'm glad to hear that. I'm very glad to hear that. How about yourself? How you been getting along? I'm getting along well. We just finished uh, the seminar in Manhattan. Really good, sold-out crowd, really great energy. I enjoyed being with the family in New York. It was a really good time. Great, 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 great. If Kathy's close by, I want to say, hey, Kathy, Miss Kathy, I love you. Hey. Hey, she's, 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 close, she's close by, sitting right here. Yes, 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 yes. Now, I'm not going to try to just snatch her in because I've been asking her to come on willingly. So she said she'd be sitting close by, so I'm not going to make it the Kathy and Mitchell Gibson interview. But, if, Kathy, if you want to jump in on something, please feel free, okay? Yeah. So you excited right. about the upcoming Atlanta thing? Oh, boy. let me go ahead and set the tempo right quick at, uh, when we get ready to talk about Atlanta. Here we are at the bottom of the eighth. We have Mitchell Gibson on the mound. We got a brother on first base and a man on third, and we're up by one run. And Gibson's got a two-and-two two count, and the catcher comes out to the mound to make sure Gibson's okay. See, everybody, Dr. Gibson used to play baseball, and he was real good. So I know when I get him in that scenario, he knows we're in a tight fix tonight because I only got him for an hour. We got a lot to talk about. So, uh, Doc, have you ever been in that situation before where you had a man on first and third and you had to protect the lead in the eighth inning? Right, I had to strike him out. Wow, Doc didn't say they're going to have to play better defense. He said, I'm going to just go ahead and make and uh, strike him out. Right. All right. Um, yes, we do have the event, the uh, Life, Harmony, and Light Conference in Atlanta on March the 3rd and the 4th. Um, Doc, what are you bringing to the table that weekend? We're going to be talking about removing attaching spirits and the spiritual world. Yes, because I want to talk about that tonight as well. Um, did you, uh, were you able to listen in to the opening song that came on tonight? I did. It was beautiful. All right. That is um, um, a discourse by my teacher, Senyata Saraswati. Okay. And okay. Um, he has been uh, gracious enough uh, to come in tonight and do the second hour with us. But I did want to um, introduce you to him, even though it's long distance, he's in Florida and you're in North Carolina. I did want to introduce you to him before we get started, all right? Okay. 
Senyata, are you on the line? Hey, Namaskar. How you doing? Namaskar, how you doing tonight? Pretty good. Thank you, thank you. Senyata, I wanted you to uh, informally meet Dr. Mitchell Gibson and Dr. Mitchell Gibson. I'd like for you to informally meet my teacher, Senyata Saraswati. Hello, hey, Dr. Sir. Gibson. How you good doing? evening. It's an honor to meet you. Very pleased to meet you. Honored to meet you as well. One of these days we'll have to meet in person. Oh, we will hook up. We will. I hear a great deal about you. Oh, thank you. And all good. <laughs> How long have you been guiding him? Forever. <laughs> <laughs> and that's a very long time in most places. <laughs> it is, it is. Yes, but it is. But he's an ex-student. <clears throat> Good. How long have you been teaching, sir? Uh, the last 50 years. 50 years? Oh, my God. Yeah. You certainly have the record over me. I've only been teaching probably about, oh, for the better part of 10 years. So you well, have that's a, a long time, too, believe me. Yeah, 10 years can be. That's most definitely true. All right, Senyata, I'm going to just uh, let you just uh, just hold off until the second hour. I'm going to leave your mic open in case you want to come in and contribute, but I really want to just aim this first part at Doc because a lot of the information, and, and the reason I wanted both of y'all because when I first met Dr. Gibson, um, Dr. Gibson said he uh, uh, studied Taoism, Kabbalah, and Buddhism. And um, a lot of interviews that I hear, I really don't get to hear a lot of your background in Taoism. So could you give me a little bit of your background about your Taoist studies um, as you started getting into the spirituality? And how old were you? Um, I've been studying Taoism for the better part of 15 years. And I studied a great deal of Taoism uh, as it relates to uh, the Mao Shan philosophy, which is one of the oldest Taoist sect. Yeah. yeah, the Mao Shan philosophy is uh, probably my greatest influence. I also have studied a great deal of the philosophy as it relates to creating consecrated talismans and uh, consecrated amulets, which I do quite a lot. And in my main altar, I have um, an altar and an icon that I have uh, enshrined for the Jade Emperor, which is probably one of the main focuses of what I studied. So I studied oh, the yeah. Jade Emperor, I studied uh, quite a bit about uh, amulets and talismans, and I also studied Taoist um, shamanism, which is a way of increasing your spiritual energy through a practice called the Red Phoenix. Mm. Okay, 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 okay. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Um, how has um, one of the subjects that I want to talk about tonight is humility and discipline. How has um, those two subjects, and you can pick either one of those, humility and discipline, been a part of Dr. Mitchell Gibson's life on this particular spiritual path? Because me, sometimes I've gotten lazy, you know, and I've had and and I've seen um, the inconsistencies in my practice sometimes. But I see when I turn it up a notch, so to say, um, how the reward starts to pay off. Um, a brother in your position, especially a uh, black or African-American male doctor, successful, uh, great family, um, 
a lot of people are looking and saying, what's the formula? Can you talk a little bit about humility and discipline as it in, um, entails the formula for how Mitchell Gibson is successful? Uh, that's a really good question. Humility, I think in any real success in life, humility has to be part of the, the formula. I, I remember uh, when I was very young, I used to be uh, a medical student in the uh, University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill. And I had a professor uh, that used to like to call me nigger. And I remember once when I was in, uh, I was doing a kidney transplant with him, and he would say, nigger, hand me that scalpel, nigger, pull that back. And it was something that caught me off guard because he couldn't, he was a senior attending who was tenured, so if I had said anything to him that he didn't like, he could have made me do the whole year over. And so here I was, I graduated the top of my class in college. Uh, I was used to getting top honors and respect from my professors. And here was a man who was a self-professed member of the Ku Klux Klan, but who was also a brilliant surgeon, calling me nigger every chance he got. So I had met a, a former classmate of mine who, was, um, who had come to Carolina before I did, and he had come across the same professor, and the professor, and he locked horns, and he made Carlos, a friend of mine, do the third year of medical school over three times. And it took Carlos seven years to graduate medical school because of that one class. And every time he called me that, I dug my heels in, and I recognized that this is a test. This is a test that the universe gave you. And if you fail this test, you will never become a doctor. So each time that he called me that, I would smile. And I would... Mm, 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 mm. The black man could have just smacked him upside the head. I could take him easy. But I realized that I had to allow him to have his moment. Mm. Now this 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 interview with this conversation. Now we're I told you we're gonna be sitting on the back porch with some lemonade and we a, a couple of dollars on the line. So I got a lot of notes in front of me, but this may flow. So I gotta follow that lead right there. Uh, some people who may be looking from the outside, who may not have that particular discipline or humility, may be looking at, Ah, oh, Mitchell, you a punk, man! I can't believe you did that. Yada yada yada. What do you say? And um, to those people who may be looking at you, um, and you may be going through a present test like that, or somebody who comes to you as a present test, and you say, and you tell them that story about being a doctor, and they say, well, man, I'm, this ain't about no doctor. I, I work at Walmart, and this man's calling me nigger. You know, what do you say to a person like that, practically, right now? Say to a person like that, if you pass those tests that the universe give you, then you get to keep your job, you get to become a doctor, because... Because I passed that test, people now call me doctor. Mmm. Mmm. Yes, yes, uh, yes, yes. The man that was calling me that name is now dead. <laughs> they don't call him anything in a grave somewhere. Right, right, right. So you also knew you had time on your side. I knew that I had time on my side. I knew I, that I had reality on my side. I knew that at some point the University of North Carolina was going to evolve. And this man at the time he was working with me was probably close to 70 years old. I knew that he was going to die before I became prominent in the world. And all I had to do was step, put my pride aside and allow time to take care of him. 
So in that humility, in that lesson in humility, I took myself out of the equation so that I could become myself. Wow. Next, next, next thing I have to ask is about because in a in a situation like this, maybe be some people who are listening who have taken your words of power class and say, well, shoot, you, some people, uh, Doc says he's had some words of power to uh, bring people back to life, cause miracles, stop people's heartbeats. Um, did you have, um, had you already had the experience with DeJounte uh, when you had um, met this man who was calling you nigger in the operating room? I had not. That experience was going to happen probably about six to seven years later. I had not had the experience yet. Um, but did you feel that you were still being observed by DeJounte at that time? I think it was probably a, I think it was probably a test to see where my soul was. It would have been easy to express my anger and my pride as a black man and stand up for myself in that way. But I had seen year after year what that did in that setting. In that setting, I didn't have that kind of power. There was another situation where I was in my first year, and I had taken a, an oral examination in anatomy, and I got all the questions right. But when I got my grade back, the professor gave me a C. So I said, how can getting all the questions right equal, equal a C? So I went to the dean of the school, and I complained, and I said, I deserve an A. My classmates were witnesses. And the professor came in, and you know what he said? He said, your people only deserve an average grade, and so that's what I'm going to give you. Wow. And the dean said, well, he's a tenure professor. It's his word against yours. Your C sticks. And so that C is on my transcript to this day. I know that I didn't earn it, but I recognize, oh, this is how they're going to play that game. So if I'm going to become a doctor, I have to do certain things that will allow me to function within this existing power structure. And one of them was to learn the lesson of humility. Now I got to go back into the childhood a little bit for people in my audience who may not know who Mitchell Gibson is. Uh, you North Carolina born, right? I was born in a little town called Pinehurst, North Carolina, which is now a <laughs> golf capital of the world. But I was born not too far from that famous golf course. And um, coming up, you had to deal with some racist issues in that town, correct? Yeah, most uh, the town was half black, half white, but at the time I was growing up, the town was still very segregated. Uh, blacks and whites didn't mix. There was a black restaurant and a white restaurant. The movie theater that I, my parents took me to, we sat upstairs, and you didn't get a chance to go downstairs and get popcorn with the white people. They had different bathrooms. In school, the school was not integrated yet, so I dealt with all of those things that uh, Dr. King helped us overcome. That was part of my childhood experience. And after you became a doctor, you started treating people of all races around the world. Is that correct? That's right. When I became a physician, I moved to Arizona. And Arizona has about a 3% black population, so over 90% of my clients were white. And it, it occurred to me that the lesson of humility helped because a lot of the people that I treated had never actually sat down with a black person of any, in any association. So when they sat down with me, they had lived in Arizona all their lives. With 3% black people, you could easily go your whole life and never meet one of us. And many of them did. 
And it now, really about I'm sorry, me. go ahead. Not about the facts of racism and prejudice. Um, now, a lot of people who have faced that type of racism growing up still harbor it in their heart. Um, what would had you learned a lot of forgiveness, or did you ever harbor in your heart uh, before you met Dejounte, or where did you learn this lesson of forgiveness that the particular lessons and gifts that you had been brought um, were, you know, for everyone? One of the things that really helped me learn forgiveness was watching people die. I've watched hundreds of people die. And when you watch a person die, it's a very, very sacred experience because everybody takes their last breath differently. But it doesn't matter what color you are. When you sit with a person and watch them die, almost everybody that dies has a tear in their eye. And when they look back at life, you can see as life leaves them, it doesn't matter what color you are, what race you are, you meet the afterlife in the same way. You meet it with one last breath. In, in seeing that over and over and over, it really gave me a different perspective on race. It, it taught me that race doesn't matter. And with my philosophy about reincarnation, I really came to believe that that person may be black or white or Chinese or Hispanic in this lifetime, but that's just like put, changing a coat. Next time, they might be a whole different race. So that whole idea of that they're going to be white or black or whatever this lifetime means nothing for that last breath when they come back into the world. So now when I meet people, I recognize that that's just a suit they're wearing. They're not really white or black or whatever color. They're just in a different suit of clothing that God has put them in this time around. Mm. So the race now, I'm sorry, go ahead. The race question is an artificial question, in my opinion. The only value that it has is the value that we place on it. Hmm. Hmm. I say. Um, now, when I first met Senyata, Senyata uh, teaching Eastern philosophy, Tantra, uh, Kriya Yoga, uh, all these esoteric arts, and... Um, I had been, this was in 2000, um, in July 17th, no, 2001, so in July 17th, this year will be 11 years I've been studying with him, officially, because the first time I met him, I walked right by him, and it took me five years to see him again. I saw him, two of my brothers were standing on either side, I shook his hand, I said, oh, that's a nice hat you got on, because he had on a hat and I didn't understand, I said, oh, that's a funny hat, and shook his hand and walked right by him, and it took me five years to see him again. Um, about four months, five months into the practice, uh, we were sitting down one day, I think at my house or after practice, and Senyata said, this is the most black students I've ever taught in 35 years, 40 years. I said, Senyata, wait a minute. It's only six or seven of us. He said, I said, this is the most black students I've ever taught in my career of teaching. Um most of the sciences that you teach and this aspect of spirituality you find on a on a normal basis uh more europeans or you know what i'm saying non-black races come do you find that true in your practice as well how long you've been practicing these spiritual arts i find that um initially yes that was true our audiences used to be 95 plus percent 
um, either white or Hispanic, but almost never did I see an African-American person. But in the last two years, that has really changed significantly. Now the audiences are split almost right down the middle, 50-50. And, mm. I, and I think it's, for a lot of black people, it's difficult for us to be exposed to spirituality. We are, as a race, inundated with religious philosophy, Baptist philosophy, Methodist, Catholic. That's what we're swamped with. That's what we're raised in. But, so if a black person is going to be exposed to spirituality, they have to work at it. When you go to seminars, for the most part, you don't see people of color presenting. You don't see people of color organizing them. So that is something that I've really only seen um, start to come to fruition in just the last few years. Before that, I did uh, quite a number of seminars all over the world, and you almost never see a person of color speaking. But now I think that we are recognizing that many of our religions have not met the spiritual needs that we have. And many of us are saying we need more. And that's one of the things that I hope to provide is that more part of the equation. Um, there are naysayers in the particular tradition that you and Senyata uh, teach. Oh, man, hands on. He's not even, no prescriptions. I know, Doc, you, I think in your bio it says you haven't written a prescription since 2004. Uh, Senyata has shown us uh, many times about uh, exchanging energy, uh, Fa Jing or Li Kung Jing or um, a master's level of Reiki course without even touching a person. Um, do you think that is going to, um, well, just give me your thoughts on that. Uh, about the skepticism, you know, because um, of that. And what can we do to, um, I don't know if we can ever eradicate it, because you're going to have some people who just have that gene, I think. I call it a doubting gene. I, use, I still may have it. But what can we do to um, help propagate our art form and the healing aspect that we bring to the world? I think the greatest remedy for skepticism is to lead by example. You're not going to change a skeptic's mind if that is, that is their philosophy. Skepticism is a philosophy. There used to be great schools of skeptics in ancient Rome and ancient Egypt and ancient uh, Greece that taught the opposite or negative philosophy uh, in, in opposition to any great positive philosophy. That was their school. The skeptics have evolved now to become almost a priesthood adopted by science. <laughs> there's nothing that is possible unless the scientific explanation. But the, the, in my opinion, the, the difficulty with that is a lot of things that science depends on, science doesn't understand. Science doesn't understand the force of gravity. But we depend on the opposition energy of planes for gravity to make airplanes. Science doesn't understand most of the medicines we use. Lithium, for instance, which is used for manic depression. When you look up lithium in the uh, PDR, you'll see that mechanism of action is unknown. We don't know how it works. Penicillin, we don't know how it works. Most of the medicines and pills that we use in medicine, we don't understand. And as a result of that, the skeptic's philosophy is one of ignorance is something that we can afford in science because we have a method to investigate the unknown. Mm. But what they really mean by that is that when we investigate the unknown, we're willing to accept the null hypothesis as an answer, which means that we're willing to accept I don't know as an answer because we don't have enough data. Well, if you turn that around, in the spiritual world, 
we call that faith. We say that, well, we don't know how it works, but it works for me just fine. Science says, well, faith needs, it needs an empirical investigation and answer, which is hypocritical because if you turn that same thing on drugs, there wouldn't be many drugs that we could use because we don't know the mechanism of action. So when you, when you really boil it down, the skeptical philosophy is primarily self-serving. In my, in my feeling, in my work, I have a very strong philosophy about skepticism. I say if something works, use it. And that's my philosophy about all the things that I do. If mm. I find it that works, I use it. If I don't understand it, that doesn't stop it from working. Wow. That thought brought me back to um to a day I was sitting in your office. I don't mean to go on a tangent, but um you had noticed that I was sitting in front of um Kuan Yin and you wanted me to change positions and then you told me to say a prayer. And in 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 my practice, n- not in my practice, but I just been around a lot of naysayers and you say, well, I'm going to say this prayer, I'm going to say that prayer, and they're like, no, 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 you must do this one, you must, it must be like this, it must be like this, and Senyata's always saying, uh, don't be so mechanical, don't be so mechanical, and you looked at me real matter-of-factly, and you said, oh, just say the one that works, <laughs> and um, I really appreciated that, I really, really appreciated the fact that uh, you weren't into uh, trying to say, let me um, let me indoctrinate him with some Gibsonism. Uh, let him go back in there and search his heart out and find his own answers. And 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 uh, for me, that's always been a sign of a master teacher. So I just wanted to say I really appreciated that. I appreciate that. I remember that moment. Thank you very much for reminding me. Absolutely. Now I got to get to the paper. I think we picked the man off on third. And uh, we got this man still over here on first base. And we're going to go ahead and um, take us on out on this next half hour. So are you ready to wipe the sweat from your brow and get busy a little bit and buckle down on this last ninth inning? <laughs> go ahead and start where you like, my friend. I love Dr. Gibson, man. I just want to go on record right now and let the world know. That's my homeboy. Okay, okay, all right. Um, at the beginning, I played that post about that um, what Senyata had said about um, sexual energy and um, how it connects to spirituality and on one of your videos four years ago um, when you were talking about the sun gazing and then you were talking about astral travel and you said don't engage for sex for about two weeks were you talking about no ejaculations or no orgasms for two weeks or no physical intercourse because in some in some instances you can have sex without releasing your energy Montauk Chia and Sanyata has taught us a lot about um, ejaculations and recirculating your energy and diffusing that um, to maintain it but it's a very small minority of people who either have the discipline or who desire to practice that and most of the time people equate sex uh, especially men with ejaculation and maybe you were just saying hey just since I don't want to go into that long conversation just abstain for sex for two weeks so you can get your energy up and so y'all just had us on like 100 days with no ejaculation if you miss a day like if you had days 80 and you miss a day you got to start over so 
can you clear that up a little bit for me and maybe some of the people who were watching that video? Did you mean abstaining from sexual contact, thoughts, and intercourse totally, or were you talking about uh, releasing the seed? The, the philosophy that I'm talking about is, is actually based on an ancient practice. I was referring specifically, though, to astral travel. I've spent a lot of time astral traveling outside of my body, visiting uh, different planets, visiting different places in the, on the Earth, visiting the sun, and I, I recognize a one-to-one -one correlation. If you have sex, that means physical intercourse or ejaculation of any kind, you just can't go as far, you can't stay out as long. It's, it's as though the energy that's in your seed and your semen and the energy that's released from the act of ejaculation of any kind limits the fuel that you have to astral travel. So I found, I tested it, I worked with it. There were times when I would ejaculate and try to get out, and I couldn't go any further than walking around my house. <laughs> and then I would wait three days, and I realized that I could go pretty much around the city of Philadelphia, whatever city I was in. But then I said, let's try this for three months. And so I didn't ejaculate, didn't masturbate, nothing for three months. I could go as far as the sun and the neighboring planets. And then, okay, I said, let me just ejaculate, and, and I was right back to being limited to the house. And then I said, okay, let me test this theory again. I went six months. And with six months, I could go from one dimension to another. So there was a one-to-one -one correlation with my range in astral travel, with my ability to control astral travel, and most importantly, my ability to control my astral body and the density of the body was directly related to how much energy I had left in my sexual organs. Sometimes... Okay, I, I'm, the reference is the show that you, the Primordial Love show you did with Ampu on Valentine's Day. I so love that. I've already rebroadcast it twice. I got it on CD. I even burned it and gave a copy to my mama and was like, man, check this out. Okay. And one of, the, one of the things in there that Kathy had mentioned was about taking time to know yourself and you talk and, we, and that there was a lot of conversation about relationships and you said oftentimes one person is further along on the path than the other and the other person just says oh I'm just gonna let you do that and you talked about how important it was to find someone I don't know um, uh, you didn't use the word enthusiastic but you said somebody who was at least an appreciator or somebody who understood and was on the on the same spiritual page as you Right now, I have a l large clientele of females who are very sexually frustrated. and But I also know a lot of brothers who want to say, yo, I want to sit on my seat right now and cultivate this, and there's some things I want to do. But they also want to be in a relationship. How does one go about um, explaining to a female or um, um, maybe even explaining it to yourself that, um, well, look, she's... She has this particular sexual appetite that she wants, and um, but you want to travel past your bedroom. I want to get outside the city of Fayetteville. I want to get outside this state. Um, how does that conversation uh, look or sound? And if Miss Kathy wants to chime in, what is some of the benefits of understanding? Let's say if you don't understand that as a female, and a and and you meet a man who says. Um, it ain't all about the sex. It's all about what we can generate with this power. Um, how does that conversation go? 
Well, when you find someone who is at least willing to entertain being on the same page with you, uh, you make a discovery that your sexual organs are not the only uh, energy source that you can use to empower your spiritual growth. So one thing that you can do is you can learn to do rituals together. There are rituals that you can do as a couple that will increase the amount of power you have as a couple so that you can not only have sex, but then you can also learn to astral travel, enjoy sex, and still have your range. It involves learning how to take energy in from the sun. Uh, you have to learn something called scanning, which also is another energy source. You have to learn to honor the energy of your spiritual guides and the gods that are willing to work with you. Uh, it's important to learn to use words of power. There is power around us, and there's power in relationships, and if you learn to integrate the power sources that we have around us in your relationship, you won't be limited to not having sex or not ejaculating because you have other power sources that you can draw from that will lift those limitations. And Kathy and I practice a number of the things that I just mentioned. We do rituals every day. We do our words of power every day. We scan every day. Uh, we take in sun when we can. And because of that, we have other power sources that allow us to have a fulfilling intimate life and also to perform our spiritual work. Mm. But it really requires somebody who is on the same page spiritually so that you can exercise those options. <laughs> now, Doc, you said that so fluently and it just flowed out in about 30 seconds. And some people who are listening are like, yeah, 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 I want to try that. But that takes time, right? It takes time, and it takes a, a partner who's willing to be honest with you about their spirituality. Mm. Do you think, think we're going to do this, and then I got you, and then quit? I hear that way too many times. I hear that too often. Wait to find out what a person's spirit, true spirituality is. And the way to see if, what their true spirituality is, see what they were doing before they met you. Mm. Mm. Is that through observation, or do you hit them with 20 questions? Just see what they observe their life. See what they really believe. See what they uh, are comfortable with. A lot of people will do what they act, what you think they want to do just to hook you. And after they hook you, they'll pull out of the game. But if a person really it. has the interest, it'll be something that they will bring to the table that you can share. Or at least they will bring an open mind to the table. And an open mind is a curious mind. They'll keep bringing it until you give them a reason not to. Mm. Mm. Wow. I tell a lot of my friends and clients, don't try to eat all the elephant at one time. You wouldn't suggest somebody trying to learn scanning and words and power and, and solar gazing all in a week, would you? Now, if somebody is truly interested in you and in relationship and they see what you're doing and they have an open mind, they're going to look at what you're doing and say, I want to try that. Okay. It will be an honest inquiry into what you're doing because they have a, a caring about you, and if the relationship deepens, they're going to see that this is something that's important to you. So in that regard, it's important that you be earnest about what you're doing so your mate can see your earnestness and see that this is something that you're not going to give up and you're not going to change on. And then they're not going to try to change you from it. They're either going to join with you or walk away from you. Whew. Boy, I'm gonna have to. I'm gonna have to. I'm. 
I got so many other questions because I can stay on that tangent right there. Thank you for that. I want to, okay, well, I, I still got to move into, I want you to talk about, wow, got to make my sacrifices here, soulmates. Uh, the other night, uh, Ampu asked you, through your astrological background, what were some of the common factors that you had saw in um, astrological charts that showed people were soulmates, and you said, I haven't seen any. And then you went into breakdown about soulmates. And, and, and to me, I was like, that's, that's it. We've been in this, I, I, I say, European romanticism phase. We, we have so many, in, in, the, in the black community, you got a lot of people hollering, black power, such and such and such and such. I really don't like white people, but they still love romance. And they still have this thing of, well, I can just gaze in somebody's eyes and I know that it's them. But you talked about how it was a blessing of a creator to meet your soulmate. Can you talk about the science of partnering versus these illusions of romance? And, I, and I'm not saying don't be romantic because I like bringing flowers too. But I think that there's a science in relationships as well. Can you briefly talk about that before? And um, what are your uh, opinions or words on just romance, period, and soulmates? Do, uh, do they go together? Well, I think the question of a soulmate is, is something that almost everybody asks and everybody looks for. But I, I think we should start with a couple of important points. In the science of partnering, you are the, you are the consi most consistent part of the equation. You bring the same thing to every relationship, no matter who that next person is. And so what you want to do is you want to look at what is the part of the relationship that I bring that I can improve upon. Who am I as a lover? Who am I as a partner? Who am I as a financial uh, contributor to the relationship? Who am I as a potential parent? Who am I as a spiritual being? And I think it's important to, to really look at and examine all of those different questions because in a relationship, you're going to be all of those people. You're going to be writing checks together. You're going to be sharing accounts together. You're going to be sharing a bed together. You're going to be sharing travel together. You're going to be sharing an awful lot of conversations with that person. Is this someone that will make you feel better about yourself and make you grow, or is this someone that challenges you not to be your best? That's the first question you should answer in a relationship. In the science of relationships, if you're around a person and that person brings out things about yourself that you don't like, that's a person you should walk away from. I don't care how good the coochie is. I don't care how pretty or how handsome that person is. If they don't bring out your best, it's best very quickly to walk away from that person. Mm. If that makes you laugh and challenges your mind and makes you feel good when you get off the phone with them or walk away from them, that's a person you should pursue. I, I think the next observation about yourself is if your family likes that person, that should only be a small part of why you pick them. Because your family's not going to marry that person. Your family's not going to date them. Your family's not going to pay your bills for the most part. That decision is going to be based on you. So if you have a feeling for a person, first of all, examine who that person is inside your heart. If you, if you can feel safe telling that person some intimate um, realities about yourself and then that person gives you a response that helps you feel good about what happened, then that's a person to consider pursuing. A person not to pursue is someone that criticizes you, 
or challenges you in a way that makes you feel that you're somewhat less than because they don't approve of decisions you've made. Now, nobody's perfect. Everybody has strengths and weaknesses when it comes to relationships. But if a person isn't someone that helps you feel better about your life in a consistent way, then that's not a soulmate. That's not someone that you should pursue. And in the end, it's going to be someone that's going to be at the back of your Rolodex. Mm. <laughs> I want to get partially into some of what you're going to be speaking about in Atlanta and the subject that you have right now and sharing uh, Kathy talked about creating nadis with sexual energy um, and spiritual cleansing. Because to me, when you said, hey, check out their background, see what they're doing, and what little bit of information I have about spirit attachments. Um, by the way, everybody, Doc is his first, well, not his first book, but his next book, The First Darkness. Please support, support, support. I read the first 12 chapters. He's got my mouth watering. I love your style because not only were you telling the story and telling parts of your life, but you were also telling about certain conditions of the planet about, I don't, I'm not going to use the word attack, but I will say high number of uh, walk-ins. Dr. York used to call them walk-ins when people have psychic breakdowns, you know, and, and they're not practicing psychic self-defense, as uh, Sonata calls it, these entities, these disembodied walk into them to, you know what I'm saying, to do their will or do their bidding. And um, I was talking to Tigo, and he was talking about the number of spiritual attachments that sometimes we have um, on our bodies. About how many spiritual attachments um, would a person on the norm or through your research who has not had a spiritual cleansing about, um, can you give us an average number of maybe spirits that are already attached to people? Somewhere between 10 and 20 for most people. Very seldom do you see a person having fewer than four or five. For the most part, it's around 10 or 20. Uh, um, I also heard you in a conversation, a young lady on a show said sometimes she just felt like she just felt like giving up and just taking her life. And she didn't even sound remorse about it. And you said you looked at her soul and felt that she had a, a very heavy load of entities pulling on her. Would that be more than 20? That would probably be somewhere more like 60 to 80. The, the heavier the spirit load a person carries, the more they tend to want to go into the astral world and be with them. That means killing yourself. Are there some other signs to look out for outside of suicidal thoughts that may say that, hey, um, I've got certain habits that may be attached to spirit attachments? Or, yes, do... Or can we relate some of our, what we may say, quote-unquote, bad habits to spiritual attachments? Well, I would say that a lot of the things that we call bad habits with addictions and illness are related to spirits. Anybody that drinks a lot is not just drinking for themselves. They're drinking because there are spirits attached with two of them that like alcohol. Anybody that does a lot of drugs has uh, drug-addicted spirits attached to them. Anybody that has um, compulsive behavior. That's because spirits like the energy of the compulsion, and they're pushing the person to do it. There are others, there are people, for instance, who uh, are overly uh, stimulated uh, by sex, for instance. That's because they have spirits who want to get their rocks off through the person's sexual activities. So there are just a number of things that a person has that they can be attached to that um, is related to that. Most of the major illnesses we that affect mankind 
can be traced back to, to spirits. For instance, uh, high blood pressure. Spirits like to attract, attach to hollow spaces in the body. They like to attach to large blood vessels in the heart. As we get older, we tend to get a load of spiritual entities that attach to the body. If you release the spirits, person, a person's blood pressure will go down because that, those entities cause a lot of tension in the body. Well, that tension is not just because of the stress in their lives. The stress is there as a contributing factor, true, but they have spiritual entities that are making their lives difficult that they're not even dealing with. In a in a show you I, I think it may have been in that same show you said that you had done a lot of research with Procter and Gamble about air or oxygen. Can you talk about how the science of qigongs or any breath work is valuable in regulating the body to maybe help ward off some of these entities or strengthen your auric field? There are a number, I mean, there are really hundreds of different types of breath work that can strengthen your field, that can improve your body's ability to take in oxygen from the environment. There's even a, a breath technique called the primordial breath, wherein you can learn to take oxygen into your intestines and hold air in your intestinal cavity so that you only have to breathe once or twice an hour. And with the primordial breath, you can flush out a lot of entities from your system. You don't have to eat as often. You don't have to sleep as often. And your body will nourish itself from the energy of the universe itself by taking in oxygen through the intestinal wall. So that's a, a, a rare type of breath work, but it's called the primordial breath. I have a friend, and I'm going to ask a question. He didn't, he didn't say ask this question, but I want you to explain it um, because when people ask me about this, I get riled up. And, I, and, and my street side comes up. But you were on a call with Dr. Palau, and someone was talking about um, initiation. And um, I was letting someone listen to a recording of one of your shows, and someone was asking you about a technique, and you said, I've heard it can be done. You didn't say that you had done it or that you hadn't done it. And so the person who was sitting there with me says, Man, he didn't answer the question, man. The dude asked him a question. He's an, he should answer the question. I said, man, he could have all types of irresponsible people listening. I said, that's why it's important that you go through an initiation and have a teacher. You know, but some some people walk around and say, hey, man, I should just be able just to walk up to Dr. Gibson and say, hey, give me three or four words of power on how to get crazy rich right now. What do you say to those people no, no, no. What do you say to the to, just to the ideal and the need of initiation, and why it's important that certain things be handed down, as in the Egyptians used to say, from from mouth to ear, from cheek to cheek. Well, it, it takes a certain amount of spiritual uh, maturity for a person to be able to accept an initiation, and the universe has a say in who gets words of power and how they're used and the results that they get. So if a person has a certain demand about which words they get and what they're going to do with them, there are beings who are much more evolved and much higher up the evolutionary scale than myself that uh, say to that person or say when that person petitions for these effects, you're not ready or you are ready. A person has to be, let's say, sanctioned to use those type of words and they have to be sanctioned to be ready to even meet a master. When a person makes those demands, it means that they're spiritually immature, and they may 
make it more difficult for themselves to come in contact with the master. And that's just how it is. You have to be mature, and more than anything, you have to be humble. I want to be very mindful of your time, but I wanted to talk about the subject of money. And a lot of people having a, myself included, I used to carry around a big poverty consciousness. Oh, if I'm righteous, I cannot have money. If I'm rich, I'm in the Illuminati. I must be on the take. Uh, yada, 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 yada. And um, some people say, well, why is why must I pay for these particular things? And then you got to explain to them money is energy and yada, 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 yada. Can you give me a little uh, background on the where does that come from first? Where did that prosperity consciousness come from? I know the breeding it comes from, but I also saw that you had done some astrological studies with Pluto and Jupiter, and you have a CD that emits those tones. So can you kind of put that in a nutshell if you can feel where I'm going? There is a, a very prevalent philosophy about the energy of money, and part of that has to do with how people have been controlled by certain forces in our world that make you think a certain way about money. Most of the money, over 97% of the money in this world, is in 1% of the hands. And it used to be that it was illegal for the average person to carry money. It used to be that if you had wealth, it had to be stored or hidden away because there were people who were in, the, in power that would come into your home and take it. The same was true of slaves. Slaves weren't really allowed to have money. They weren't really allowed to have bank accounts. They weren't really allowed to save. And during many periods in human history, the average person was not allowed to store large sums of money because they felt that if you could store money, you could buy an army and overthrow the nobility. So we developed a lot of defensive structures around that, those realities. We said, well, money must be bad or you don't need it. And we developed ways of just accepting the inequities or the uh, the problems with those philosophies. We accepted the fact that we were being abused by the powers that be. And now that's been going on for so long, a lot of people still believe that way. They still believe, well, this is a bad world and you should really only have enough just to get by. And if you have more than that, you must be doing something wrong. Those philosophies, those ways of thinking come from the times when mankind only shared wealth with a very small amount. Well, those times have changed, but Still, only a very few people have more than a few thousand dollars in the bank account, in their bank account. Most people in the world, the average person on this planet, lives on less than $500 a year U.S. money. In the U.S., we are the wealthiest country in the world, where the average person in this country lives on $30,000 a year. But we also have more billionaires and millionaires in this country than any other country in the world. So that 90% of the world's wealth is concentrated in this one country. So I found that a lot of the people that have a lot of that wealth do have certain planetary alignments that help make it easier for them to take advantage of that wealth, in particular Jupiter-Pluto parallel or Sun in high declination uh, or a Jupiter-Sun conjunction. And those are energies that you see over and over and over in people who are wealthy or have created wealth and what I find to be true is that you can supplement those energies in your chart just like taking a vitamin or a medicine or a condition. Poverty consciousness is a type of illness. 
and that type of illness can be treated. Wow. Any quick tip for poverty consciousness before I let you go, Doc? I think the best thing to treat poverty consciousness is a thing that I often like to give. Take a ginger root, grind it up, mix it with some fresh honey, and take a pinch of that every day. It helps to destroy that gene. Can we drink that in a tea? Because my mother makes that like every day. Like it's on the stove right now. Can we drink it in a tea? Tea, I would just take a pinch of the raw ginger and honey together. A pinch of the raw ginger and honey every day. Whew. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, Doc. Do you have any other announcements other than we're going to be doing it real big down in Atlanta on March the 3rd and the 4th? You're going to be speaking on Saturday. Dr. Deborah Blair is going to be there on Sunday. Even little old Kyrie, the, the rookie's getting ready to come in there and do a little something on Sunday. Um, you got any other announcements pertaining to that or anything else you got going on right now? Uh, for right now, just go to our website at www.tybro.com and look at our upcoming events, and you'll see that we have a whole slew of things coming up, including a new Word of Lo- Word of, I mean, Body of Power or Body of Life seminar. We have a seminar coming up in Atlanta. Just a lot of stuff. Good take, do yourself a favor and take a look at that page, our upcoming events. Exactly, exactly. I want to honor um, Sonyada and just ask him real quick before you leave. Sonyada, do you have any comments or questions for Doc before I let him go? And we turn it over to the second hour. Yes, he said everything I tried to say. (laughs) (laughs) Believe me, he did. Oh, no, Sonyada, you're not getting off that easy. Dr. Gibson, Sonyada tried to get off easy and say, well, Dr. Gibson already said it, so Kaya, what you going to ask me? We're getting ready to talk about he had a kundalini, a cosmic kundalini meditation workshop in Fort Lauderdale last weekend, and I want to talk to him about that and uh, some and some other good juices. So, uh, But I definitely appreciate you for coming on, uh, giving me this time. All is well on my end, brother. All is well. Thank you so much for having me, and I look forward to seeing you in Atlanta. Absolutely. Oh, well, no, you're going to see me right before then. I'm going to see you next Thursday. Okay. All right, we'll have a chat then. Take care care then. All right, thank you, Dr. Gibson. Bye. I got to give him a round of applause, Sonyada. Hold on for a second. It's heavy. (laughs) Now, Sonyada, a lot of times people say, well, Man, y'all just must be just like just teaching all the time. Every time y'all just get uh, together or something. But people don't know. Sometimes, man, you get around and you know uh, have conversations about other great teachers. Can you give me some um, some comments or some feedback other than he said it all on uh, what you heard from the brother today? Well, basically, um, at the level of where he's coming from, he's absolutely correct. Um. And everything he said. Um, mm. I, I I normally don't deal at that level because I'm looking for people that's really on the spiritual path that I work with, and, and, and people who are ready, really, to go into what they call the thinking process. And so that that's really my focus. What's the process called again? Ascension process. Ascension process. Mm. Yes, yes, yes. Because I, I do remember, I can recall many a day we would be 
uh, now hindsight being 2020, I can look back, see that we may have been testing your patients because we wanted to deal with some other things outside of ascension, and you were trying to trying to make sure we got the the cream of the you know the cream on the top, and maybe right. we want to uh, go through and deal with some other things, and um, absolutely. But I really think that a lot of work that Dr. Gibson is doing is going to help prepare some people for their ascension. What do you think? Absolutely. I know that. There's no doubt about that. Mm, but he's a, he's a much more considerably younger man than you are, too. So it's good, um, you know, that, you know, uh, teamwork makes the dream work, I say. Oh, yes. All right. Um, now, some of the people on the line who are still on the line know who Sanyata Saraswati is, and some may have came just to check out Dr. Uh, Dr. Gibson's part. We are getting ready. Right now on the line, we have uh, my teacher for the last 12 years. I could just put a lot of accolades out there and paperwork and all that, but one thing I would say is the brother's so humble, I don't feel right about just dropping all of his bio. Just type his name in Google. He'll pop up, but I do say at all times with no reserve, the jewel in the lotus, the third edition, is a must-have. It's a must-have. Um, his website is Shindao, S-H-E-N-T-A-O, Energy, I-N-N-E-R-G-Y, Arts, ShindaoEnergyArts.com. There's a lot more information on that because I really want to get into um, sharing with Senyata tonight and let him uh, bring in some other what I feel is necessary information that a lot of us could could do well by listening to a person who has uh, lived a lot of la- life on the planet Earth. I call them laps around the sun. I don't even call them years anymore. If a person is a considerably older than you and considered a wise person, they've seen some things on their laps around the sun, and it will do you wise to sometimes be quiet and listen. And um, I have learned a great many things. I still talk a lot, but um, there have been a lot of times where I have been quiet to listen to what uh, Grandmaster Senyata has told me or Dr. Gibson has told me so I can apply it in my life. And that's one of the reasons, the major reasons, why I wanted to have both of them on the show tonight. Senyata, I'm a, we're going to start right there. We're going to kind of continue um, when uh, he was talking about preserving uh, the sex, the links between sexual intercourse, and you often have told us in relationships when you get with a woman, you wait 30 days before you all have sex um, to to check out maybe the. Well, you tell me what is the rationale behind that, or what is your particular personal reasoning in your lifetime of why you consider that practice to be a good practice for yourself and others. Well, number one, it, it creates a personal mag- magnetism between you and your and your mate, and it also activates the charisma, the natural charisma that we all have, and we just haven't cultivated because we rush into a relationship. And uh, as I said before, in our class, when I lived in North Carolina, you never make love to a woman unless you decide to marry her. Because mm. if that's not fair, it's not going to work. 
Mm. So a lot of the friction sex that's going on in the world has been going on for thousands of years. How do we sometimes differentiate between just those desires of friction sex and um, actually having intercourse with another person? Well, I answered that a minute ago. It's got to be love. Mm. The animalistic sex. And we're supposed to be the highest species on the planet now. And so that's got to be trans- transformed. I'm not saying that don't have friction sex because it's a time for everything. But the friction sex basically is just to stimulate the Kundalini energy. And most people don't realize that. Mm. For 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 some of those who may be, because you know my show is a kids, adult, grandparent show. For those who um, may not um, fully have a comprehension of the word Kundalini, because you tell us all the time people are writing all these books about Kundalini to make money. Um, can you give us a actual tangible? Definition of Kundalini. Kundalini is your basic is your basic life force in the body, and what it does once it's activated, it opens up the whole creative process within your whole total being. A lot of people think Kundalini is a, a mystical energy and all of that and that's just not true it's your natural birthright keep that energy uh, as I say keep your motor running and there are various processes and techniques to keep the motor running but first it's got to be initiated to start the engine and that's where I come in show people how to start Mm, the initiation yes do you think because there are people out here who say, oh, I can read this book and I can watch these YouTube videos and I'm getting ready to raise my kundalini and I don't have to go through all that stuff you're going through, Kair. I'm not getting no teacher, you know what I'm saying? I'm trying to raise my, but they're always talking about, I'm trying to raise my kundalini. I'm going to do this. I'm going to change my diet. I'm going to do all that. Are you saying that the videos, the books, and changing their diet, if they don't have a teacher, if they're not going through the initiation, that the kundalini is going to remain dormant? Yes, it will. <laughs> they have to have that initial spark initiated in their system. Mm. And and I'm asking this for the you know what I'm saying for the neophytes. Are there any exceptions? Are there any exceptions to that rule? Somebody, oh well, not me. I don't need to get that spark. I can just do it myself. They're fooling themselves. Mm. And they many tricks. We've seen that through uh, psychedelic drugs. I know you came through the 60s and the 70s. You were a younger man then. I was just a pup um, about people trying to use psychedelic drugs then, and they're still trying to do it now to get to this place called Nirvana. And to me, I keep I say this: it's a uh, they're trying to shortcut the path. Uh, what do you have to say about the use of these psychedelic drugs and? Um, people trying to find these particular shortcuts never works 
never works. I don't care what drug it is, because that's an artificial stimulation. And if if, if you get your Kundalini activated through initiation, that's the biggest high you'll ever get in the world. <laughs> and you know I'm talking about the cosmic cobra breath. Yes, I do. Yes, I do. I done smoked a ton of weed, and I ain't never had nothing like the cobra breath, ever. I done drunk a lot of liquor, too. I'm not necessarily a drinker, but I've been in particular altered states from from, from from external sources. And me particularly, I bear witness that I haven't had anything um, close to the cobra breath. And that's for, for me, that's my caviar. And, and, and I have the proof. Like Dr. York used to say, evidence, experience, and reason. Like it doesn't take me more than three to five minutes to start having proof that that that, that cobra breath is actually working. Um, Dr. Gibson talked about a little bit about tonight about people even having the right to see a person who can initiate them with this cobra breath or with whatever, because because even in the uh, Jewel and the Lotus, and you told us many times. All ancient civilizations have had some type of breath. Doc talked about the primordial breath, and um, um, which I suspect may be a similar technique. But, uh, um, oh man, I'm just my mind just blanked out on me on that question. I think I was going to say something about, um, oh, being worthy being worthy to be somewhere to get an initiation. Um, is there some type of, is is that your karma that you're going through in your own particular lifetime now or your dharma, you know, that if you do get to a spiritual teacher who can who can um, initiate you, or if you don't get to a teacher, or let's say you knew it was a teacher and somebody was like, yeah, I know he's doing these, these initiations um, on this certain day, but I can't get there. Can we do it over the telephone? Can I? Can you? Can Can we do it on Skype? Can we telecom? Can we teleconference it? Uh, what about the worthiness of actually getting to a person who can initiate? Well, number one. Well, I'll just speak from my experience. Um, when people come to me for initiation. They're scanned first, number one. I check out their auric field. I check out their electromagnetic field. And I check out their heart. And if I see any discrepancy in any of those three fields, I will not initiate them. Mm. So that's the primary essence. Honesty. Inwardly and outwardly. Mm. Because... Mm. And the word that came in my head... On your behalf is integrity. It takes a person of high integrity to say, "Well, look, I'm gonna 